0: Hey guys, Craig here, just with a heads up, this week's episode was supposed to be last week's episode, uh, but I struggled a little bit with the editing on this one. Basically what happened was we got to the end of the uh, recording, and the recording software that I was using just stopped working. And so I'm missing like the last two or three minutes of uh, video for and, and audio for this recording, which sucks. And I was trying all sorts of clever things to make it work. But ultimately, I just decided, you know what, it's a fun enough conversation uh, that even though we lost the last couple of minutes, uh, that's fine. Uh, We can still go through this. And I think you'll really enjoy this discussion. Um, It's not terribly (laughs) deep or life changing, but it's a ton of fun. And S.L. Wong was a great guest. um, And so I thought I'd still put it out there. It'll just kind of fade out at the end. Don't worry, you didn't miss a ton. I was getting into my stupidest questions at that point. (laughs) And so so it'll cut off pretty quickly, but just know that uh, that that's why. So apologies to S.L. Wong. Apologies to you guys for kind of the weird ending on this one, but uh, thought you'd still enjoy it. So let's get to it. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium podcast. I am Craig, your host, and I am joined today by S.L. Wong or Lisa Wong, whichever you prefer. I think today we're going with S.L. So, S.L., welcome. How are you?
1: Thank you very much. Uh, I'm doing great today. It's good to be here.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. That was one of the more enthusiastic uh, responses (laughs) I've ever gotten to that. That's fantastic. So, you and I are going to be talking about uh about weapons and being an armorer in movies in hollywood uh, that's kind mm-hmm. that, that's kind of our topic for today but i have to imagine this this is going to be a pretty random f- f- wide-ranging topic or a conversation that we're going to have who knows Works where we're going to end up <laughs> so but why are we talking about this with you i here's what i want to do sl i want to tell people a a little bit about you. And then I want you to tell us a lot about it because here's the thing. Uh, I, you know, I do a lot of these interviews these days um, and you have by far the best press kit page I've ever come across. Now there's, it's a little, okay. A little peek behind the curtain of, uh, you know, what it means to produce shows like this. Um, But this matters. And you've got this great press kit page uh, with all these different bios and whatnot. And I'm, I'm reading through all this stuff and I'm going, who is this woman? My <laughs> word. Uh, so I was, I was losing my mind looking at all this stuff. So MIT Hollywood yes, yes. published author of a, a dozen short stories and a half dozen books by my count, something like that. Yes. It, I mean, you've done some stuff. What, where did you, okay, let's, let's start with college. I'm, I'm actually genuinely interested in, and if anybody else isn't, well, too bad. It's my podcast. <laughs> college. You went to MIT. Yes. Take it from there. How did you get from A to to B or A to Z? Sure.
1: Sure. Well, um, I've always been a bit of a nerd, uh, maybe a little bit more than a bit. Um, And uh, so I I always hugely into science and math. So I um, I went to MIT, uh, as you do, I guess, uh, uh, to study science and math. And I think um, we all did. We all did. (laughs) Um, And I actually, uh, I'd also always been into like theater and performing. So I actually minored in theater arts at MIT, which MIT has an excellent theater program. You wouldn't expect that necessarily. Um, And uh, when I was, uh, uh, you might've heard this about MIT, but it's a little bit of a hard school. Just a little bit. I mean, um, I, I,
0: I'm, I'm confident I could do it. (laughs) It's fine. I'm, I'm prepared.
1: Well, when I was just about to graduate, um, you know, I'd been there, you know, a few years, and uh, I was starting to feel a little bit burned out on math, which was my major. And um, I love math. I love math fiercely. And I was—it was really bumming me out that I was like starting to feel really burned out about it, and you know, not not so great. Um, and the. People who study the type of math that I was doing, which is a very kind of theoretical kind of math, um, the natural next choice w- would have been graduate school and like getting my PhD, maybe going mm-hmm, to academia mm-hmm. or something. And I kind of realized that if I did that, I would end up hating math. And I really didn't want to hate math. I love math. And I kind of was, you know, I, I remember I was walking around the campus at night and I was, um, I was on the, uh, uh, no, I wasn't on the phone with my mom yet. I was just walking around the campus, and I was thinking about my future, as my senior year. And um, I was started having these thoughts, and I so I called my mom, and I was standing there in the MIT campus. I called my mom, and I said, "How would you feel if this really expensive education that you just helped pay for, if um, instead I ended up going out to Hollywood?"
0: <laughs> and, okay, let me let me predict the reaction was she took it super well.
1: She actually did. This oh, is that's my, good. Like, yeah, yeah. No, bless my mom. She is amazing. Um, her reaction was: <laughs> she goes, "Oh, I think that would be a marvelous idea. You should do that. That sounds amazing.
0: Wow, very cool."
1: <laughs> so, um, so that's essentially what I did, and um, you know, it's kind of funny because it's. Um, uh, you know having gone to a tech school having gone to an engineering school it does it, you know it continues to impact every part of my life you know the mm-hmm. the friends i made there were lifelong and the you know what i learned there um, you know it just enables me to do uh, you know a lot of other things sort of in uh, in between in my life and um you know i i don't regret it at all uh, you know very, very much, um, one of the formative experiences, uh, of my life for me. Um, and, uh, so then I went out to, to Hollywood. I became a, a stunt person and a film armor, and, uh, did that for almost a decade. Um, and, uh, it was just amazing. It was, it, it really, uh, the experiences I had there in Los Angeles, um, uh, just absolutely incredible.
0: So when you, you went out, you became a stunt performer and an armorer, which what a, what a cool uh, bullet point on your resume. Yes, I was an armorer. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, is that what you went out to do or is that uh- something you kind of fell into?
1: The, the the armory was uh, not. I didn't even know that was a job. You know, um, <laughs> I went out to do stunts and to do acting actually, because I, you know, like I said, I'd been a theater arts major. I was really into acting, but I was also really into stage combat. Um, I'd been doing stage combat since you know middle school ish, and I got like very very intensely into it later on. I'd, I'd done tr- more traditional martial arts also, but I, you know, very specifically sought out like theatrical sword fighting and stuff for like years before that, and I was taking it in college like as an extracurricular um, you know elsewhere uh, in Boston and um, I had actually also in college gotten really into uh, target shooting um, my uh, I, I did I took that at MIT actually uh, MIT there there are two gun ranges in the vicinity of Boston and one of them is in the basement of the MIT Athletic Center uh, <laughs> at least that was true then like they MIT had this incredible pistol shooting team uh, like they would regularly beat the military academies and stuff Stuff. And, um, I actually wasn't on the team. I just like took it as an extracurricular, but our coach there, uh, coach Wilhart, who he's, he's, no longer there. He went on to coach the Paralympic shooting team, which shows you like just what incredible person they had coaching there. Um, just absolutely amazing coach, you know, I'm saying safety before all, you know, and really mm. respecting, you know, this uh, everything we were doing with firearms. And, um, I really credit him with, you know, everything I learned that sort of set me on the path to understanding all of that. Um, and then, you know, after I moved out to Los Angeles, um, I realized pretty quickly that the only scenes, <laughs> the acting scenes I was really enjoying doing the most were like the action ones. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, uh, it was a lot to concentrate. On. I kind of dropped concentrate on the acting and said, I'm going to really focus on stunts because that's what I really want to do. And, um, at the same time, um, I met, uh, uh, my mentor in firearms in Los Angeles who, uh, I apprenticed with him for years and, and there's really no school for becoming an, an armor. It's, um, uh, it's very specialized. There are probably mm-hmm. only, I don't know, a dozen of us in Los Angeles working regularly. Um, very small career. Yeah, um, yeah. very small profession. So, uh, you know, you, it, it's, it's hard to, uh, to learn how to do it. You know, it's, it's, it, because it's just such specialized skills. Um, so I got very lucky that way and, um, you know, just was there learning everything and, and really, really amazing, um, amount of, uh, you know, information and uh different skills and stuff mm-hmm. um is this and, something uh, you good? still
0: do or it, did you did you give it up at some point
1: uh you know it's it's still something uh i might come back and do uh, mm. this is sort of like a long and slightly depressing story uh, i got cancer first the second time actually mm. um ended up uh kind of having to uh hiatus from movies for a while, went to Japan to live for a while because apparently that's what I do when I get cancer and have to take a break from my (laughs) old life.
0: This wasn't the first time then? (laughs)
1: Uh, No, uh, uh, no, no, no. it was the first time I did that. It was the second (laughs) time I had cancer. So um, when I came back, I actually, I moved to Chicago and I've been doing stunts in Chicago, uh, but that, you know, pandemic hit very shortly after I came back, you know, everything sort of changed. So I, you know, I'm still sort of figuring out, you know, I talk to people in LA still regularly and they're like, you should come back. You know, I I still get job offers back there and stuff. So it's all a little bit up in the air and now I'm screenwriting a bit too. So, you know, it it all might come back around. Around, but the whole pan- pandemic thing has sort of like, I don't know, uh, put everything in flux for a few years, I feel like. So hopefully, hopefully I'll uh, I'll get back and be doing a, a bit more of it um, as, you know, things kind of get more back to normal.
0: And, and this is why I, nine minutes ago I started with your bio is crazy. Let's talk about your bio because this is fascinating <laughs> stuff. <laughs> but we're missing a piece of it, which is that you write a lot. Uh, you yes, publish yes. quite a bit. Where did that come from? Uh, you know, why why did you start that? Because I I don't see anywhere in your bio so far a really neat insertion point for oh, and I love writing. Um, <laughs> that, that, but that's... but is it the storytelling from the theater major stuff? Did you know what what drew you to this and when?
1: Um, that's so funny because writing is actually currently my primary profession. That's like right. what I do with my days, right? That's how I, I earn my living at the moment. And, um, I, you know, I've been writing my, my whole life. It's, uh, from, when I was very young, if it, like I was, uh, helping, you know, my mom clear out some old boxes recently. And like in my school notes, you see me like writing stories, <laughs> so, like, you know, notes on chemistry. And then the next page is like half a story. And then, you know, <laughs> more notes on chemistry. So it's, um, it's always something I've done. Uh, and it, it was always something that I wanted to like be a published author when I was in, in fact, in middle school, I would like shame myself because I, I knew of a, a published author. His name is Gordon Corman who had been published at like age 13 and we had like read him, his, some of his books in school, and I, I actually really liked him. And I was like, Gordon Corman published a novel at thirteen. Why haven't I done that yet?" You know, like the, <laughs> the naivete, right, of this very young. Like obviously, like nothing I was writing was publishable. Um, but it had always been, you know, a dream of mine and something I kept doing. And you know, when I, when I was in college, I wrote uh, at least like two more than two novels while I was in college. Completely unpublished. Like, they will never see the light of day. Like, terrible, right? Um, and then my first novel that ended up being published, uh, I actually wrote, uh, while I was in Los Angeles. And I was just sort of doing it on the side along with everything. And, um, you know, my friends knew I was writing a novel and they would ask me, they're like, Oh, you're writing this book. What's it about? And I would say, math and guns. And they would kind of look at me. They would be like, only you, only you would write a book like this. Um, And uh, it was, uh, so that was my first book, which is Zero Sum Game. And that was, uh, it's about a a superhero, sort of an anti heroine who can do math really, really fast. That's her superpower. And uh, she uses it to kill a lot of people as you do with math, you know.
0: (laughs) Well, I don't don't know about everybody else. I do. And, you know, I'm sure that there are dozens of us out there. Uh,
1: completely completely That sounds
0: amazing. What's the name of that that book? The-
1: uh, that's called Zero-Sum Game, and it's the Zero first sum. book in the cast Russell series.
0: Okay, um, right.
1: And uh, I actually finished it on a movie set I because there's a lot of downtime on movie sets. And uh, mm-hmm. I had this, the sides for the day, which are like the they're little half sheets where they have the lines for the the scenes for the day printed on them. And, you know, we get them so that we know what's going on. And on the back, it was blank. So I was like writing in pencil on the back of my sides <laughs> during the day. And I, I get to the end, I'm like, oh, I think I just finished my book.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's awesome, that's amazing. So, okay, so people can go check out Zero Sum Game. But I, I, I do want to pivot a little bit yeah. to, to talk about whether it, what what the through line is here with your bio and and what it means to tell stories and uh, and how different it's been for you as a novelist or a short story writer, where it's all solo, it's all in your head, it's all you know maybe with an editor or whatever, um, versus telling stories. In a place like Hollywood, where everything mm. is super collaborative, yeah, you have you have your small bit of influence, but yeah. maybe not. I yeah. don't know. Maybe not as much as you'd like, or maybe you prefer the collaborative experience. Tell me a little bit about storytelling in the two genres and and what the experience has been like for you.
1: This is such a a fascinating question, and I'm so glad you asked it. Nobody's ever asked me this before, but it's it's so true. Like what you're saying, you you're really hitting it. Um, uh, you know, in Hollywood, I was as a stunt person and an armor I was what we call below the line um, there mm. are, uh, the f- film um film crews are split into above the line and below the line and above the line is like uh people who are attached, like from the beginning, the writer, director, star, you know, like the those people. And below the line are everybody that like once the, the film's in development, they bring in like, you know, they hire all this crew to make it happen, right? The
0: lighting and, and the sound text and the Exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay.
1: Yeah. So we're all brought in after that and we're working on this film that already exists, right? We're not part of the creative or the development process. Um and for me that was the that's been the biggest difference is, you know, I loved the creative work I would do in Hollywood. For example, if I was part of, um, you know, uh, making a fight happen or, you know, helping a director choreograph a gunfire scene or something like there. that's certainly a creative job, but you know, it was always um, trying to, you know, make this the best possible for somebody else's vision, which uh which i really enjoy doing like and mm. uh, you know that's that's a really awesome thing to be able to do to be able to say work with the director and and get the director the shots that they want and the the look that they want um it's really like a cool feeling to be able to do that um and i actually find like it's there's something freeing about it too because you know things go wrong in creative professions all the time right like i'm sure i
0: don't know what you mean <laughs>
1: Too, too real, right? Um, you know, in Hollywood, we'd have films, you know, I'd get, I'd be booked for like a month on a film, you know, get the call the day before, oh, it's, it's not going, you know? Oh, um, man. and obviously, like, I'd be disappointed not to get the paycheck, right? But mm-hmm. like, there was very little, like, personal or creative investment, especially if I hadn't even seen like been on set yet or seen, you know, what was right. going on yet. Um whereas in writing, you know, it's everything because it's my creative work, um, that's been a lot harder actually. Like the when things go wrong, it feels a lot more, it's a lot more personal. It feels a lot like emotionally harder to kind of, yeah. you know, soldier on and go do the next thing. <laughs> um, so um that I actually, in terms of like what I prefer, you know there, there's definitely something very um fulfilling about having my own creative work uh, you know be put forth into the world but it it also comes with its own trials I guess and uh, and there was something very freeing about you know being the collaborator in that yeah. sense um,
0: yeah, there's it, when it comes to doing your own thing that the self motivation required, like you know, I, I'll watch YouTubers, for instance. Okay, so some people are watching us on YouTube, uh, other YouTubers who are cranking out decent content every single day for years and years, and the 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 self motivation. Required to do that is completely alien to me. I have some, not that much. Um, and when it comes to collaborative projects, being part of a team creating something even similar to that, mm-hmm. like you say, oh man, it can be nice to just let somebody else make the decision, yeah, and then yeah. I'll 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 be the executor. <laughs> of your mm-hmm. vision, but, uh, yeah. but thanks for coming up with a vision. It's, it's yeah. nice sometimes. Uh, and and but, it feels
1: great to like make that happen, right? Yeah. To be part of that. To be part and of the process. Really, really good. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So uh, let me, let me ask you this then. This is another pivot and we may come back to the storytelling yeah. aspect, but I am interested in, uh, in your work as an armorer. Um, and you know, you, you did the gun stuff back at MIT, which is a sentence I never thought I'd say in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I should back up a little bit and say a few months ago, we had somebody on, I think it was Ed McDonald talking about medieval weapons. And, you know, mm. he, does, mm-hmm. uh, he does, uh, he does kind of, uh, semi-professional level, whatever you do with medieval weapons and cosplay and mm-hmm. recreations or whatever. And I asked him about, uh, you know, especially in a, a with a podcast that does a lot of sci-fi and fantasy stuff, mm-hmm. I, it was easy to ask him you know does this ruin books and movies for you to know all this stuff Mm -hmm. but now we talk with you about more modern stuff you're doing a lot of gunplay uh in your movies and in your stories Mm -hmm. apparently um does knowing more about that subject make it tougher to consume media and and for it to be fun for you um you know (laughs) I, i guess i'll just leave the question there
1: Sure. Sure. Um, you know, slight, slightly. Like I, every time you know more about something, then you notice more errors. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I You know, it doesn't – I would say I definitely always notice it. You know, when uh, there's – for example, there's this thing movies always do. Uh, it's like when you pick up a, a firearm in movies, it makes a clicking sound. Right. And, like, once you notice that, you can't unsee it, oh, right? Yeah, no, and, like, that awful. doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. <laughs> like, when when you pick up a gun, it sounds like when you pick up a cell phone. Like, nothing happens, you know? It's just a, it's a piece of metal or, or polymer, and it doesn't make a sound. Right. Um, but they always make that kind of like... Town when you like even when you touch pick anything. It up. Yeah. So like stuff like that I always notice or like when they when they rack a firearm twice in a row or something, I'm like, oh you just lost some of your just ammunition. Wasted there, your you ammo. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> like all of this stuff. I or people flag each other with firearms. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like no, you don't do that. Um so all of this stuff, of course I see. Um but I would say like I, I tend to be able to separate myself a little bit from that mm-hmm. and um and really uh you know still get into it in a I've always been like an action movie junkie so um i've always loved that and even if it's like totally unrealistic um and i think part of this is like in movies like even as a professional we would always tell people what the realistic thing was but a lot of times they didn't necessarily want the realistic thing or right, they, they didn't right. either didn't care or they wanted the cooler like the, you know can we can we do that you know the 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 nine millimeter like blast the person backwards and I was like I mean that wouldn't happen but we can do that <laughs> you know? um, so and I would just like roll with it you know we would tell them what was correct if they wanted and some, some directors really cared right they would be right. like oh no 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 tell me what's right here tell me what would actually happen you know and we would yeah, that was part of our, our job that we would tell them that and they would be like okay we'll, we'll rearrange the whole scene so that that you know is exactly how it would be realistically and that's really cool actually to like work with people who are so into that nitty gritty um but then you know you get the people who are just like i want the explosions and you know i'm cool with that too um i would say that i definitely appreciate really well done uh you know action scenes now like just a lot Mm. more because i i have that level of appreciation um i I think uh, particularly for like sword fights and um you know some of those longer longer fights uh just like greater appreciation for what the when people really can put into that um so I, I yeah i wouldn't say i wouldn't say it's ruined things for me although you know there are probably a few things that i would l- enjoy more <laughs> but on the other hand i can enjoy those like uh those those really well done scenes more so you
0: know. yeah no, absolutely yeah it's uh there there's the old thing about um you know the last thing the waitress wants to do is go home and and make coffee right mm-hmm. um yeah. y- we, we get so wrapped up in our work during the day. It's like, I want to take a break from it. Yeah. So I, I have a vision of you now working all day on action scenes and then going home and watching just like fried green tomatoes or, <laughs> or like, uh, you know, Runaway Bride or something else starring Julia Roberts. I don't know. Um, <laughs>
1: You know, s- still not my thing as much as the action stuff, I have to admit. Um, I will say it's gotten harder for me to read since becoming a professional author. Oh, I used interesting. To read, like, yeah, like I used to read everything. You know, I would joke that I would read the back of the cereal box, you know, like anything with text on it. Mm. Um, when I was a kid, I was just like, I would walk into lamppost reading. You know, I was one of those huge, huge reader and imagination. Always, like you know. Now I've got
0: that opening song from Beauty and the Beast stuck in my head. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> that was actually my first play that I there did you as a go. Child. Right. the no connection um but yeah the uh the that sort of um like internal editor for writing I found a lot harder to turn off than my like you know uh gun or sword mm, knowledge yeah. like historical knowledge
0: yeah no that makes a lot of sense yeah okay so gosh where where do I want to go with this now let's talk then about your books specifically I want I want to give you a chance to sell people on the books. Um, you've already mentioned, uh, math and guns, which is quite the combo. Tell us a little bit more about that, uh, that trilogy. It's called the Cass Russell series. Yes. Um, tell us a little more about that because that is, uh, now being re-released is that uh, right? Yes.
1: Yes. Um, I initially self-published it because I was, you know, I was working as a, a stunt person in armor. That was, you know, my living. I wasn't looking necessarily to like jump to being a professional author. That sort of happened it, co- coincident with the the whole like cancer and moving to Japan. It kind mm. of like serendipitously, my life went in different directions. But um, the, uh, so I, I self-published that first because I was, I, I wanted to like just see the process through to the, I was very proud of this book. Um, Um, And I'd been doing a lot of research and I was, you know, becoming part of the, you know, writing publishing community and like, you know, talking to people and stuff. Um, And uh, I'm I'm still very glad I did that in the sense that I I learned a ton doing it. Um, And I I also learned uh, self-publishing that series that uh, self-publishing was not actually uh, the best path for me. Um, Mm. I'm, you know, I'm very, uh, I tend to be very perfectionistic about things. And it was very hard for me to, like self-publishing operates very fast and like a lot of fast releases and trying to do all your own publicity and um it also changes very fast like all the different uh you know advertising and techniques and stuff and i it was not that you know doing all those non-writer things and keeping up with it uh was just it became very tiring very very fast so by the time i was releasing my you know third book or so i was like this is this is a lot and and Right. At at that moment, um, zero sum game got some interest, like some film interest, like from Mm. Hollywood producers. And, um, that was when I, you know, I started to realize that I was in over my head. I I queried agents and, um, I landed with my agent now, who's been absolutely amazing. And, and he loved the books. And he said, you know, I, even though this is self published, you know, like with the, it's very rare for a self published series to get picked up like that pretty right. much doesn't happen yeah and um he said you know especially with the the film interest and stuff like i i think i can get you uh you know a, a big five deal with a, a major publisher do you want that and at that point i realized i had realized that i did and i was like yeah let's let's do it Dude, so yeah. um yeah he's he's amazing he's you know a very experienced and he sort of like he made this happen, you know? And, uh, so the tour re-released the series. Um, we did a, a lot of edits and stuff with my, my, uh, an amazing editor there at tour. And, um, uh, it, it, that's just been quite, quite the ride. Um, and, uh, so it's, uh, I, I guess it, I've just been like hanging on and let it, letting it take me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this, um, this series, what? Tell me what it's about. You mentioned mm-hmm. uh, guns and math, but mm-hmm. uh, but get, set set it up a little bit more for me. Sure. What is zero sum game? What what is, what is it about? What's it doing? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so it's basically about this uh, mercenary retrieval expert in Los Angeles um, and uh, it, like a little bit of an urban fan- fantasy vibe to the, uh, it's it's more science fiction, but um, Los Angeles is, you know, obviously where I was working for a very long time and I would go to all these film sets and a lot of them are like very obscure places or like under weird freeway overpasses or very unsavory parts of LA where like the producers are paying off the local gangs to, to let us film. Like this is real, this wow. is, you know. Know, okay. would what happened so you know I, I i had all of this experience all around this city and like places that people don't normally go and uh so it's you know kind of this this woman who's living in this seedy underbelly of los angeles kind of thing and uh very very violent uh very violently living and um uh, kind of uh, falls into this um conspiracy or like runs up against this conspiracy. And so, you know, she has this superpower where she can basically like feel and see mathematics all around. It. And, and she uses it a lot of times to, you know, like we said, fight and do violent mm-hmm. things, Um, but also can use it in, you know, kind of uh, more... Uh, uh creative ways uh, for example she's trying to eavesdrop on a conversation once and it manages to like you know use the mathematics to do that and um <laughs> so uh so she ends up running and she ends up running against the- up against this other super powered type of person who's basically like doing this, all this manipulation of the world. And, you know, it, it ends up like escalating into this uh, this huge conflict. And then, then there are, you know, of course, other characters uh, surrounding them, some of whom are trying to do the right thing and some of whom are very much not, but are, you know, allies anyway. So um, yeah, it's definitely that kind of sort of contemporary science fiction um, uh, in, in, you know, present day Los Angeles, but uh, with these uh, these kind of gritty superpowers.
0: Yeah, just a. It, it sounds like um like a, a somewhat familiar story, but with a very different kind of high concepts uh, yes, structure yeah. around it. Right? You that, can definitely tell really I grew cool. up
1: reading sci-fi. So. <laughs> oh
0: yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, and then the book that you have coming out, and I, I want to talk mm-hmm. about this for a few minutes before I do some—I'll uh, do some lightning round, quick fire stuff, uh, taking mm-hmm. us back to our previous subjects. But the one coming out is called *The Water Outlaws*, uh, and it's coming out in June. So yes. we've got a few more months until it's out. Um, but before you talk about it, I do just want to remind people: pre-orders matter. They matter a lot. So if uh, if people are interested, they should. Consider a pre-order because it's coming out in June. So, what is the water outlaws?
1: Wow, uh, and thank you so much for saying that, by the way, because a lot of people don't realize that they're like, "Oh, well, I'll just buy the book when it comes out," which is also great. We love all readers, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, pre-orders uh, they matter so much for like what the publisher like puts into the book, like in terms of publicity and stuff like that, and like the, the success of a book. So thank you for for that that pre-order push. I really appreciate it. Um, so the Water Outlaws is uh, it's a Wuxia epic fantasy, and um, so Wuxia is uh, uh, kind of what you think of as uh, maybe martial arts movies uh, mm. might be where you've most seen it, is that sort of very stylized uh, martial arts that's like a little bit larger than life. Mm. Um, and there's a there's a, chi- a classic Chinese novel called Water Margin that is sort of recognized as the first Wuxia novel. And it's one of the the four classic Chinese novels. And when you think like for classic Chinese novels, this is like, you know, uh, from hundreds and hundreds of years ago, right? You think, oh, you know, that's going to be something really dry and boring or something. It is the wildest. It's, it's about these <laughs> bandits. Yeah. And th- it's about these bandits rising up against this tyrannical empire. And it's it's like gloriously violent and like funny and raunchy, like all these, like you know, uh, kind of uh, linguistically how they talk and everything. It was one of the first novels, I think the first Chinese novel written in the vernacular at the time. And it's just like a, a wild, amazing story. Um, and I, so I, I it's, it's sort of a reimagining of water margin, but I took the, the bandits and I, I gender spun them. So they're, it's like mostly women and queer people in this group of bandits, and they're rising up against this patriarchal empire. I knew it. You know? I knew yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very on brand for me. And, um, so, uh, you basically got these people in, and it's a, a secondary world that, you know, very much resembles like a fantasy China, um, the same way that a lot of, uh, uh, classic fantasies resemble fantasy Europe from, you know, o- olden times. Um, and, uh, so a lot of like very like, you know, uh high uh, uh high level uh like bordering on supernatural martial arts and those kinds of skills that you might see like just a bit larger than life all of this stuff and like mm, uh it- bordering into magic with things like, you know, augury and stuff like that, but mm. kind of uh, uh, the the same way you might see in those, um those types of like Hong Kong martial arts movies. Uh, Cause I, I really pulled from, I'm uh, half Chinese and I pulled, you know, a lot from my, my heritage and culture in building all of this. And I just had such fun with it. You know, I've got these, I've got these women just having these like amazing martial arts fights and, you know, pulling from all my my martial arts and, and fight choreography knowledge, and uh, just like had fun with them being like these, you know, these rebels and uh, standing up and fighting back.
0: So, when you write a fight scene with these characters, do you is your style more of a of a thirty thousand foot view? I want to describe uh, kind of the fight overall, or do you like to get into the you know this punch that kick? Um, is swinging this and trying to describe kind of that minute detail, the blow by blow writing. What do you like to to do?
1: Um, you know, it's a little bit uh, both and a little bit neither. I think mm-hmm. I am, um, I'm definitely the type of person, because I have all this, you know, fight knowledge that when I'm writing a fight, I'm imagining myself in it, right? And sometimes I'll get up and I'll like pace out, I'll actually pace out the fight. But I know every move that's happening in that fight. And I know, you know, I can figure, you know, it's very instinctive to me that, you know, when we do this move, it can flow into this move mm-hmm. and, you know, but it, it wouldn't go in that direction, that kind of thing. Um, but when I'm writing the words down... Um, you know, it's funny that when I first started learning sword fighting, I was, of course, writing a novel because I was writing a novel, um, <laughs> most of which weren't finished when I was a child. And, uh, I was like, Oh my gosh, I, my sword scenes are going to be so amazing. I'm going to go home and write the best sword scene ever. <laughs> so I, I went and I like wrote every single move of this sword fight. And I'm like, ha ha ha. I know all of these terms now. I know exactly like I can choreograph the entire fight. This is going to be awesome. You know, a few days later, I go back and read it and it was the most boring thing. I ever read. <laughs> it was so bad. I can't even tell you. And that was very instructive to me in the sense that like you, you know, describing every single move, it's not really the way to write a fight. Mm. Um, so it's more like I, I pull, I'll pull highlights, you know, and I'll pull the vibe and the through line. Like what matters is really the, the emotions that are happening and the uh you know what is impacting that character about these moves like that this move catches the character and you know hurts them or catches them by surprise and that's what's you know very much impacting them um and uh you know that kind of thing is is kind of how I think about it which is the same uh, true for choreographing movie fights actually we we talk a lot more about the character emotion and raising the stakes and hitting those mm-hmm, those mm-hmm. moments um rather than uh, necessarily the the blow by blow being as important
0: yeah it makes a lot of sense and it, it's uh it reminds me of um the idea of um oh gosh what's his name chad chad stalski doing uh the ah, yeah what do you do john wick john wick right so the stuntman yeah. becomes uh, also a, the Matrix, a director like right
1: absolutely yeah yeah. No,
0: but but the idea of, you know, he becomes the director. Okay, now he's in charge. He gets to mm, have mm. that creative vision. Um, and it's because of that previous experience that he's yeah, able to yeah. communicate the action so well. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's it's reminding me a little bit of that. You, you're a writer who now has this extremely specific uh, kind of esoteric knowledge about how yeah, fights yeah. actually can or should go. Um, and so now it can go into your writing in in a and and he's a legend effective by the way, way. Like, uh, of course
1: st- stunts right like um yeah and and you're absolutely right moving to directing he has that like deep understanding of how these how fights drive a story which right. I would say the best fight choreographers are not necessarily the best because they're the best fighters or they're the best at that martial arts although many of them are you know stupendous um but. They're the best at doing that storytelling through fighting and that driving the story forward.
0: Um, All right. So let's do a little lightning round. Um, I have a a few really, really stupid questions for you. (laughs) I hope you're ready. Now, what I want you to do is get into your armorer slash stunt person mode, not the actor mode. Okay. Okay. Um, So favorite weapon to watch in a movie.
1: Oh, that's a that's an interesting one, because a a lot of times what I get a real kick out of are the ones that are a little bit more unusual. Um, And I would say I would say it's got to be something like those, you know giant 50 cals oh, uh i was just example. gonna like, say the same thing yeah like it because you you so rarely see those like so uh something like red with Hel- helen Marin she's mm. <laughs> doing the like she's got you know, the 50 cal oh, and she's so good in that she's so good um and like i've used those they, they are very very hard to like film with um mm. and it's just like very cool to to see that kind of thing um we we used a, a 50 cal with like quarter load rounds it blew out a light 25 feet away like they are, they are so powerful. Yeah.
0: That's an excellent choice. Excellent choice. Okay, so now, favorite weapon in real life?
1: Uh, Browning high power in 9mm. millimeter. is my okay. very favorite gun.
0: It's a oh. handgun. Yeah. And it has to
1: be Belgian-made. Belgian-made Browning high power in 9 millimeter.
0: Because if it's not Belgian, it's uh, not. They're just
1: not as good. Yeah, the ones, <laughs> uh, yeah, they're just, uh, the Argentinian ones are just not as well-made.
0: All right, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> So there you go. Again, apologies for the abrupt ending and especially apologies to S.L. Wong. She was really great. I hope everybody goes and checks out her stuff. I will link to her website and and whatever else in the, uh, uh, the, what's that thing called? Show notes. Yeah, that's what we do here. Uh, So be sure to go check her stuff out. Thanks everybody for listening and I will see you next time.